Ladies and gentlemen, the new theme song for Barack Hussein Obama. Turn left at the old hotel. I know this boulevard must too well. It hasn't changed since I've been gone. Ah, oh, this used to be my way home. They paved the road through the neighborhood. I guess the county finally fixed it good. It was getting rough. Someone finally complained enough. Fight the tears back with a smile. Stop and look for a little while. Oh, it's plain to see. The only thing missing is me. That's my house and that's my car. That's my to the main event yes happy trump administration while you're listening to this my wife and i and scott mcafee's wife and him are in washington dc enjoying the inauguration festivities we made it through the obama administration hey uh you know what i i wanted to change that song to say that's my house and that's my plane but i can't seem to clip my voice in to sound like Toby Keith's, but uh, I thought that's, uh, you know, you notice how, uh, how Obama's, Obama's going to stay in Washington, D.C. You know, when George W. Bush uh, stepped down and it was inauguration day for Barack Obama, George W. got on the plane to Texas, went to Crawford or Dallas or wherever his new house that they just bought was. And uh, when, uh, uh, when, when Clinton got out, when Clinton got out and was George W. was getting inaugurated, not only did they did they not did they hang around Washington D.C. because you know Bill likes a party doesn't want to be gone when there's a party in town and uh, and they 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 stole China and stuff out of the White House they basically took a bunch of stuff that they had to bring back and uh, they had their staff pull all the W's off the all the keyboards on the computers total lack of class to do that just you know de- deface government property. To just play a joke on George W. Bush, they pulled all the W's off, and uh, and you know it's, you know it, it's just I can just see Barack Obama driving around Washington D.C., driving past the White House and having a tear in his eye. Well, boo freaking who? So anyway, um, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about a whole bunch of 
whole bunch of stuff today. But before I do, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender, located in, here in the Inland Empire with offices all over Southern California. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020, day or night. Toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. You want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone, go to our website, wccloans.com, where we have all kinds of mortgage information. And if you want to apply for a loan right away or get more information, go to the Loan Center tab, click Apply Now, and uh, put in as much information as you want me to have, and let me know how much information you want back from me. And uh, we will, myself or one of my teammates, will contact you in any... uh, communication form you deem uh, appropriate cell phone uh, landline text email uh, smoke signals however you want it however you want it to be done and we'll help uh, give you the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle um if any part of the show you want repeated go to edhoffman.net click on the podcast page to listen to it on demand anytime or you can get the main event podcast on soundcloud or itunes and be sure to connect with the show on social media. Follow me at Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. Like the show on Facebook, facebook.com, the main event at Hoffman. So uh, with me in the studio, uh, my traveling, uh, my traveling, uh, I don't want to say my traveling partner because I'm traveling with my wife, but uh, but our, my wife and my traveling partner and his wife, Mr. Scott McAfee, owner, proprietor of Don's Bikes in Rialto and Redlands, Scotty. And it's never been better to be in the house today. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're getting ready. We're recording a little early because we're in Washington, D.C. while you're listening to this. And uh, you excited? Uh, I'm beyond excited, Ed. I think I suggested this like months ago to you, as you recall. I said, if this guy pulls this off, we have to go back and see it. I know for me personally, it's because I don't know if I still believe this is real, Ed. I mean, it's kind of surreal, don't you think? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact. And I and I and and the more the more I watch how how the transition's taking place the more excited it gets because of just how how ed hoffman trump is he just he <laughs> you know he doesn't have he he's he's struggling with his volume control and he's struggling with his filters and uh he says what's he says what's on his mind and and he's slowly he's slowly getting his uh his manners set up i mean if you look at the way he handled the the CNN reporter last week that we talked about on the radio last week. Um, he was so cool about that. He wasn't, he wasn't mean or anything. He just say, Hey, you know what? No, nope, you don't get your chance. You guys are fake news. I thought that was awesome. Well, you know, it's true. We are, we are about to, as of the weekend that this show airs, we're about to embark on a major, <sighs> major shift for the United States. Unlike anything we have ever seen before. And the press conference you just referenced, I'm watching that going, Oh my God, this is like for real. And just when you thought Trump was going to be, yeah, you know, a little bit more presidential, a little bit more reserved and be kind of like a lot of other Republican presidents and just a pinata for the press and everybody else. It's like, nope, not this time, Ed. Nope. He's got, we got, we got a, uh, we got a president that's got some spine. Yeah. Well, yeah. For lack of other words that we can't say on the radio. Well, that's true. That's true. Speaking of which, we do plan on attending some of Trump's balls. Is that correct? Yes, we are going to. We are going to a couple of balls. Okay. Um, I guess they're big balls as well. One's called the All-American Ball. Yes. And one's called the Liberty Ball. Okay. Okay. So, uh. So we'll be. (laughs) We will be attending two balls while we're in Washington, D.C. I will see them both. They're big. So, uh. (laughs) 
One's at one's at the Hyatt Regency. Okay. And one's at the uh, Library of Congress. All right. And there's one thing, you know, I, I was going to, I've never said this to you on or off the air, but it's something that was in the back of my mind. I'm sure it was in the back of yours. It would be very difficult. I've probably done it because, you know, you're my friend and I love coming on and doing this, but it would have been very difficult for me to do the show if Hillary Clinton had been elected. I mean, think about that. It you would, thought about that, right? I thought about whether I was going to, whether I was going to continue my show. You know what? what? You know what? I, I spoke at the Republican Women's, uh, the Riverside Republican Women's Federation, um, the two, 10 days after the election. Mm-hmm. And they asked me if I'd come be a guest speaker. And I said, sure, um, but do it before the election because it was not, uh, in the, the polls didn't look good. No. And I said, don't book me after the election. What if he loses? What if Trump loses? I'm going to have a hard time having anything positive to say. Well, you could talk about rebuilding the party. You could talk about the whatever. And then I was, I was actually so happy. Oh yeah. No, you, you and I both. And it it is, it's the high that, and it's the high that just doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. At least certainly for, for me, you know, I could be driving on the freeway and somebody cuts me off and I'm like, you know, you son of a, and then I stop, I stop. And then I realize, wait a minute, Trump's the president. And then I just look at him. I go, peace be with you, my son. Exactly. Peace be with you. Exactly. It's a, it's you know, a, a, the, the empty boat thing, you know, Hey, you know, this guy's, this guy cut me off. You know what? He didn't, you want to, you want to just, I will tell you that I didn't realize how much stress that the Obama administration, all the overregulation put on me until November 9th, when all of a sudden, Hey, we've got Trump. Trump is going to be our next president, not Hillary how how relieved that was and how much more energy i had and just immediate immediate euphoria just you know it's you know is that going to fix my fix everything that's that's stressful in my life no but at least i know there's hope right it's hope and we actually have a chance and we have an opportunity not a guarantee <laughs> but the country actually has hope and has a chance if hillary clinton would have been elected i just I don't even want to fathom the darkness that I think would surround so many parts of this country and either other parts of the world. And I think a lot of people, obviously, they're very upset uh, with with what happened. But I think given given time, a lot of those people will come to realize that, look, this is this is the right thing to happen. Yeah. uh, Eight years ago, we felt the way they feel now. Right. And I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with my life. And you know what? Obama had a chance to really turn things around. Uh, he had a chance to change the racial discussion in this in this country, and instead he said, "Hey, I'm gonna get some I'm gonna get some payback while I'm here," and that could have been the 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 post racial era, but it wasn't, and uh, it's it's amazing. I think it seems like the for eight years he didn't have any interest in doing anything but but being king, golfing, having fun, and and saying, "Hey, you know, elections have consequences." So neener neener neener. Uh, I got the plane, I got the White House, and, you know, I can do what I want. And uh, then the last three weeks, last three weeks, he he going, oh, my God, how, how am I going to save my legacy? Trump's just going to turn it all off. And uh, did you see his... Uh, his farewell speech. It was painful to watch, Ed. But uh, being the being that I am one of the most respected political analysts in the nation, I felt obligated to watch. As did I, and it was <laughs> it was hard. But let me play this one little part where he lists out his uh, he lists out all his accomplishments to make sure we remembered. And let's talk about it. I played it right at the end of the show last week and didn't have a chance to comment on it because I ran out of time. But let's play this part now. If I had told you eight years ago that America would reverse the Great Recession reboot our auto industry, 
and unleash the longest stretch of job creation in our history. If I had told you that we would open up a new chapter with the Cuban people, shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot, take out the mastermind of 9-11. If I had told you that we would win marriage equality and secure the right to health insurance for another 20 million of our fellow citizens, if I had told you all that, you might have said our sights were set a little too high. That's what we did. This guy is clearly delusional. And as I as I mentioned last last week, uh, America is clearly disengaged and the majority of people aren't really paying attention to this kind of stuff. And they're not as excited as we are about Trump. And but let's let's talk about these things that he says he accomplished. Well, you know, if I lived in a cave for like the last eight years, I would have just heard that speech and go, wow, it sounds like the last eight years have been really good. Unfortunately, I've been living in the reality of this and it's and it hasn't been good. It's been primarily awful. Um, so, yeah. Reverse. He said they reversed the recession. Did they reverse the recession? All I see. All I see is we we borrowed 10 trillion dollars and gave it away to people so they wouldn't have to feel any pain. Until someone else came in to fix things. Along with that lowest labor participation rate since like the 70s, um, lowest home ownership, the average income for people in the United States has gone down a couple thousand dollars since uh, since he's been elected. Um, Obamacare has been a disaster. It's literally collapsing as we speak. Uh, it's driven up the cost for just about everybody who had insurance before. People lost their doctors, their plans, their deductibles are up. What they're getting and what they're paying for, they're paying more for less is the bottom line. And remember, he said he said at the end of that, health insurance for 20 million more people. That's only 5% of the population. So five. So for 5% of the population, they have health insurance. Now, it doesn't mean they have health care. They have health insurance. And remember, we were supposed to, the average family was supposed to have their health insurance go down $2,500 a year. And it has basically doubled for most, most everybody. Yeah, it's, it's great to listen to all this soaring rhetoric, but that's all it is, Ed. It's soaring rhetoric. Thank God it's just, thank God it's done. Actually, yep. at the time you hear this, it will be done. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Longest stretch of job creation, slow job creation. And when you lose that many jobs and losing the jobs wasn't his fault, it was the uh, was actually goes back to the Clinton administration with the subprime mortgages and all that, all that went in. If you want more details on that, watch the big short um, reboot. The auto industry could have really rebooted the auto industry by letting him go through bankruptcy without his involvement. And uh, we could have got rid of the, 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 um, the labor, uh, labor union uh, contracts there. And it actually could build still have smart people build, build great cars without having to uh, make the unions rich. Um, the new chapter in Cuba. Yeah, that's been great. Uh, if you, I know some people who live in Cuba. Cuba's an absolute hellhole. And Fidel Castro is is was a barbarian. Uh, thank God he's dead. Uh, it, it, I wish he would have done it sooner. Um, but that's it. the situation in that country certainly hasn't changed. It's an awful, awful place. Short of North Korea, it's probably one of the worst places to live in the world. And we wanted, and we, and we're so proud to try and make things right with them that, uh, that we're that we changed the law about the the wet foot, dry foot thing that Obama Obama signed that end that 
Hey, if you if you're if you're running from uh, if you're running from Cuba, if you get onto dry land, you can stay here for a year and apply for citizenship. Sounds pretty familiar. Uh, exactly. But you know what? It's amazing that if we know people are running from it because it's so bad because how they treat people, then why do we want to open up a new chapter with them? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like legitimizing them, just like Iran. We legitimized Iran by funding them, unbelievably, funding them, acknowledging that they're actually legitimate leaders. Uh, you know, it's like, look, I'm just so glad this is done. This is just done, Ed. Yep. Uh, so last time we're going to talk about Obama. Okay. Maybe. All right. Maybe. Well, I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, residual stuff to talk about. Um, you hear about Obama's house. He bought a, he bought a nine bedroom mansion in Washington, DC that he's moving into, uh, 4.25 million plus a $4.25 million house in Rancho Mirage. No, could he just go to Chicago? Stay away from California. We got enough idiots here already. And he's got a 6,000 square foot house in Hawaii. I wonder how he paid for that. Well, the question is, is he is he close enough to hear our broadcast? I think that's the big question. Um, He might he might be. <laughs> nah, no, because he's no? staying in Washington, D.C. for a year. Or okay. For a year while... Uh, well, when he comes out here, though. The younger... Well, yeah, maybe. All right. Yeah, he would he would be able to hear it. That'd be cool. But I'd like I'm him sure, to hear us. I'm sure, he wouldn't, I'm sure he wouldn't be listening to this station. Mm, yeah, you never know. Probably not. Right. You know, I know we did talk about Obama and the whole idea that, you know, he could have really healed race relations in this country instead of making things 10 times worse. And and that was certainly part of why he was elected in the first place was because, hey, we're going to elect the first black president. We should be kind of done with this whole race thing right after that. Uh, instead, what we all came to realize is that without victims, without people feeling like victims, there is no Democrat party because it's largely a party of people who feel like victims and, and have been encouraged to do so by this guy for the last eight years. So certainly there was nothing, you know, he even says in his own speech that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of work to do and uh, people feel separated and brings up the whites. And I, I just, come on guy, you know, you got it. You got to hammer one more wedge before you leave. Huh? Yep. He, uh, he is, uh, it's all about race. You'll notice that, for eight years, we saw Obama um, jump to conclusions whenever, whenever a uh, a cop killed a black person, whenever a cop encountered a black person, whenever anybody did anything against the Muslim people, and while he protected everybody who's Muslim and protected everybody who's black, even when they didn't deserve it. Right. Hey, don't don't jump to conclusions. <clears throat> we don't want to. We don't want to have uh, one bad Muslim person create a b- bunch of a. Uh, bunch of a uh, of a uh, reaction against all muslim people because that's not fair but when the cops when a when a cop kills a black person before you know if if it was if it was legitimate if it was uh, uh justified everybody get out there and riot and loot and kill cops well and even reference ferguson in his speech which didn't his own Justice Department say that Ferguson, there was no evidence of any kind of criminal or wrongdoing in the part of the Ferguson officer? That I mean, is correct. And, but he brought it up in the speech anyways. He is, he is, you know, he is him. He's right there with uh, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, the race baiters. Pretty uh, much. Pretty Louis much. Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan. Hey, what I, what I didn't, what mm-hmm. I didn't mention about uh, Obama's new mansion in Washington, D.C., um, he's, he's building a big wall around it. <laughs> Why would he do that, Ed? I don't know. Huh. We shouldn't need that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, is he trying to keep you and me out? Is that the point or what? Apparently. All right. All I right. don't know. He's him and the, him and his Democrat party don't seem to, don't seem to be, uh, 
thinking thinking it's such a good idea to put a wall around our country, but he wants to put a wall around his house. Okay, all right. Well, fine. Uh, thank God that as of this weekend, as of the weekend that everybody hears the show, enough Americans stood up and said, you know what? Enough. And that includes a whole lot of Democrats, too, by the way. I mean, we were this, we were this close to shoving the whole thing off a cliff, Ed. <laughs> and and, and, and at the, it seems like at the 12th hour, people said, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yep. I was, uh, I was surprised as anybody could be. Surprised as anybody could be, you know, I'm watching it on, uh, on election night. Can't believe my, can't believe what I'm seeing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I've got people tweeting me. Are you looking at MSNBC? No. Why would I do that? Just flip over there and look at these, the scared look on their faces. Look at CNN. They're analyzing county by county to try and figure a way for things to be different. And I'm going, I'm saying, hey, you know what? He's 16, 16 electoral votes away. And Michigan is like 99% of the precincts in. And he's like 100, 200,000 votes ahead. Going, call Michigan so we can go to bed. You know, us Republicans have jobs to go to tomorrow morning. Right. But, you know, but that's what added to the whole drama of the thing. A, uh, number one, realizing that, OK, the odds against uh, the odds are highly against us winning because all the polls said that we weren't going to win. And of course, some of the pollsters, I actually literally heard one guy say Hillary Clinton has a 99 percent chance of winning. So I think that's part of what added to the drama of this whole thing. Right. Is going in there. Uh, unlike in 2012, when we expected to win and we lost, this time we expected to lose and we won. So that was kind of part of the fun. Now that now that we can look at it in retrospect, right? Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm totally it's like being the I'm underdog. Totally, and I and I have I'm completely <laughs> completely happy with the way Trump has handled the uh, the two months since since he won. How he's handled his nominees. How he's handled you know the dealing with nominees, the dealing with the press. Right. He, he like he grew up. Well, that too, and he's he's obviously got I think some stellar nominees uh, that are coming in to to help him assist in running the country. Here's one other thing though that nobody's really mentioned I don't think, um, because I know a lot of people are like well you know you look at, at Tillers and you know doesn't he have a lot to financially gain from all this and that and Exxon Mobil and those conflicts of interest and they go wait a minute this guy was earning like twenty five million dollars a year now he's going to go down to maybe making I don't know a couple hundred grand a year uh -huh. he's taking a hell of a pay cut. Yeah, why? Why would someone with and so that is much Trump, money, by the way? Why would anybody with that much money want these jobs unless they really had a calling to really support their country? Well, exactly, exactly. And hey, I think, oh, go ahead. They, they all, they all say, hey, something's wrong with this, with this place. We somebody, somebody with some intelligence needs to jump in, and we need to make a commitment. And at that point in your life, you're you're thinking about your kids, your grandkids, the 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 future of our country. You're not worried about, hey, you know what? Tillerson has enough money. Trump has enough money to do whatever he wants. It's it's not about it's not about money anymore. No, and I think that's if if we've gotten anything, Trump has has truly run for uh for the reasons that we think. It's it's because he's sees the problems in the country. He stepped up, took a lot of heat. I mean, you know, risk basically is I think his whole business. You know, if he hadn't won, right? I mean, what would Trump's brand be worth if he hadn't won? Uh, He'd have taken a pretty probably, big hit. Yeah, it would have been. A, would have been a big hit and he's taking a big hit in signing everything over to his kids and signing the profits from the foreign uh, entities over to the United States government to the United States treasury yes. to pay down towards the debt. That's crazy. I know it's uh he's made such a big commitment. I'm uh 
I'm proud as hell that we are in Washington, D.C. Uh, being a part of the festivities. Yes, we're probably going to freeze our butts off there, but I think it'll be worth it, Ed. I'd stand in a snowstorm to watch this. Uh, exactly, you know? and we probably are standing in a snowstorm yes. to do this. So uh, so we're a few days a few days early this week. Um, we've got about a minute left. Uh, we're having our... Uh, uh, coming up in part two, we're going part two of the main event. I've got uh, Joey Jones from formerly of the Boot Campaign. That's a friend of our st- friend of mine and a friend of our of our uh, program uh, coming on to talk about uh, our Secretary of Defense uh, James Mattis, as well as uh, we've got a uh, charity event coming up on February 25th. Uh, at the Victoria Club. For more information, if you want to be a part of it and uh, help support WCC Charities, who supports all kinds of veterans, uh, veterans uh, uh, causes, and this one in particular is going to the Gary Sinise Foundation to help build a a, a smart home for uh, for triple amputee Andrew Botrell. Uh, go to wccharities.org. Scott, you'll be there. I will be, Ed. You're donating a uh, bicycle that we're yep. going to auction off. Is it a nice bike? It's very cool, Ed. It's a, we want a nice, shiny mountain bike <laughs> that just everyone goes, wow, I got to have that. Yep. Because uh, everybody else shops at Toys R Us for bikes. <laughs> That's messed up. All right, so we're, uh, we're all uh, out of time for part one of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes of commercials, weather, and traffic. We'll be right back with part two. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk about mortgage lending or real estate on the radio, but that's what I do. If you uh, hear something that sounds like common sense on my show and you want to talk to someone who uh, thinks like you do when it's time to finance your house or finance your, uh, get a reverse mortgage or, uh, or buy a new house, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855 855- 640-2020, and one last time, 855-640-2020. So as, uh, as promised, as promised uh, uh, today, today we'll be talking to Joey Jones, uh, sergeant, uh, former uh, uh, retire, medically retired Marine Sergeant Joey Jones, EOD Tech. Um, for those of you that have been listening to my show, you've uh, heard him on uh, on the air lots of times, and you've uh, if you came out to push ups for charity, you got a, a chance to meet him. And uh, Joey, welcome back to our welcome back to the main event. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, so uh, let's let's catch up with uh, with what's going on. Um, last I last I heard, last I heard, you're uh, you're being vetted uh, for a political career. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, well, this will be the first time I've talked about it publicly, so we'll see how that works out. Um, not necessarily vetted for a career. I had the opportunity to uh, go up and meet Congressman Tom Price um, uh, up in the 6th District of Georgia, which is about 45 minutes from where I was born. And so, you know, I've been traveling the country, traveling the world, uh, serving in the Marine Corps, fighting two wars, uh, recovering, and then trying to take care of other veterans. So, now I finally moved back to Georgia and uh, looking for where I'm going to be able to put roots down with my family. And uh, political office is definitely something I'm interested in. So it was an interesting conversation and, and uh, a fun opportunity to learn more about what it would take to run for office. And for those of those of you that don't know, uh, Tom Price, the congressman from Georgia, is uh, the nominee for uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services in the Trump administration, and uh, for those of you that don't know, Joey is a uh, is a double amputee. Uh, he, he after uh, getting out of the Marines, he uh, served at the at the VA in Washington D.C. 
Yeah, so I actually serve for the House Veterans Affairs Committee, which is the it's, um, it's the House of Representatives Committee over oversight and investigations. Um, uh, I'm sorry, oversight on um, the VA. So basically, each each committee of Congress has a responsibility. You hear about armed services a lot. You hear about um, well, actually, I just mentioned oversight and investigations a lot. So they have a committee on Veterans Affairs as well. And I served there for over a year and uh, and learned quite a bit about what uh, veterans are, are having to go through and, and kind of why the VA has problems it has. And uh, then from there you went uh, to get involved with the boot campaign? Yeah. Was so there a- while, while, yeah, you know, while I recovered, I started working with military nonprofits in the D.C. area. I recovered really quickly and I had a lot of support. So I wanted to find a way to, to bring that to other men and women who had been severely injured or just going through that retirement process that I went through and bringing some of the knowledge from, from my time on Capitol Hill as well as at Walter Reed. And um, in the meantime, I was working and acting and, and kind of put together a network of celebrities and thought, how can I activate these celebrities with the knowledge I have? And lo and behold, I found a, a nonprofit out in Texas that was getting celebrities to wear combat boots and show their support for the military, but at the same time providing assistance. So it became a great place to volunteer, and then ultimately I became chief operating officer and uh, did that for a while from 2014 through this past year. And uh, I just moved recently to Fayetteville, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta, and I work for a country music singer named Zach Brown. Uh, We've got a lot of businesses here, and then we've got a, a camp here for kids that suffer from the autism spectrum. So Long story short, I've bounced around a lot. The, the kids that suffer from, I'm sorry? the We call it the autism spectrum. So oh, okay. People, yeah, people think of autism as one illness or, or ailment uh, when, in fact, you know, there are a lot of things all the way to ADHD that fall under the same spectrum of, of neurological or developmental problems. I'm uh, quite, I'm quite familiar. I'm quite familiar with that. I just didn't, uh, I didn't understand when you said it. Um, I apologize. So what, what kind of programs do they have, have at the, what is Zach Brown's uh, organization is called Southern Ground? Yeah. So our company is Southern Ground and that's kind of the, the lifestyle brand. And, and we make a plethora of, of products from furniture to high end knives to, to reworking vehicles and everything Zach and the band needs on the road. We do their tour production and a lot of um, a lot of different things. So those companies exist in order to create products and ultimately create revenue for our 400-acre camp here. Um, and the camp will be finished at the end of 2018, uh, and that's when we'll start doing full-on camps. And uh, the programming here will be a week-long uh, camp for kids to come in every year. We hope they come back and receive um, and receive the opportunity, really, to meet one another, and, and we put challenges that are uniquely designed for them so that they can complete those challenges, but also um, help them build confidence in what their strengths are and understand themselves better. And uh, what age do those kids start at? Seven to 17. And uh, once a, once a, a camp uh, attendee reaches 17, if, if, um, you know, if, if they're capable and, and the opportunities there, uh, we're looking at uh, keeping them on as counselors uh, for the next generation. Awesome. I have, uh, I have someone I, I know that, uh, someone I know very close to me that is, uh, involved that is, uh, in, has the, is in the, the autism spectrum. And, uh, 
and I will we'll talk more about that more about that later. But let's talk about uh so so you're working with Zach Brown and then they're they're trying you're considering uh running for office as well. Well, yeah, you know, full disclosure and um and every consultant out there is gonna is gonna pull the hair out and say this, but quite honestly, there's no there's no getting the upper hand on timing here. Uh what you're looking at for me is that uh Congressman Price's district is really close to my hometown. Uh, but I've not lived in that district, um, you know, or in that area since I left to join the Marine Corps. So now that I'm back in Georgia, public service is something that's really important to me. I've fought two wars, worked on Capitol Hill, and helped run nonprofits and businesses. Um, and I'm still relevant in politics as a, as a voice for veterans and the issues I care about. And obviously, for me, the next step is to take that to public office um, and and represent not only Americans, but Americans from my hometown, from my area that, that built me. Um, and so, you know, those opportunities come few and far between. And uh, so I believe I would be a great candidate and, and ultimately a great congressman. Um, congressman Tom Price may or may not be confirmed as the uh, next Secretary of Health and Human Service. And he if will. so, that seat will be vacated and there will be a primary and special election. Um, there are other people looking at that seat that have been, uh, you know, active in politics for a really long time. But I, I can promise anyone who ever voted for me, they're not voting for a career politician. They're voting for someone who's been out there and, and fought for the things we believe in. Um, and I don't plan to stay in politics for a career either. I just want to take the experiences that I have that I believe are relevant for right now and, uh, and put those to work uh, for the people I care about. Well, I for one uh, would uh, support that uh, putting a putting a uh, a young guy with your experience and your uh, your character and your um, your uh, experience and your uh, what's the word I'm looking for the way you think the way you think uh, in office and to help uh, help steer our country because um, I I have a uh, while, while we disagree on some aspects of uh, our political uh, things, I I think that I think uh, overall I would uh, I would support putting you in in the uh, Congress or the Senate to uh, help steer our country. Well, I really appreciate that, and and if that opportunity does come up, uh, you know, whenever that is or wherever that is, um, you know, it. it it's something that I've always told people when I decide to run for office, it's because it's the obvious next step in, in fulfilling uh, my passion and my service to my country, not because I need the opportunity to get famous or, or, uh, or try to be rich or important. I, I think that I would find that road easier, probably staying away from politics and going another direction. But uh, we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see how the next few weeks go and, and uh, if Thompson Price is confirmed, and if I have the opportunity to move to um, to the sixth district of Georgia with my family, then uh, that might be something we pursue. Cool. Is there is there hunting there? Oh, there's hunting all over Georgia. I, I, <laughs> tell, I tell people that Joe Joey texts me a couple months back. You should come out to Texas and go hunting with me. And I'm going. You mean point my gun at a at a at an animal that isn't charging me and just never responded. <laughs> And even my wife goes, you're kidding me. You said that? I'm thinking, my wife is a true animal lover. I said, you would support me going hunting? I'll go hunting. I just thought you were going to be mad at me if uh, 
if I went and shot innocent animals. I was <laughs> I put I put Listen. Don I put Don in that place with the blam, you know, you you uh you you blew a deer's brains out. Do you think I care what kind of pants you're wearing? Well You know, my you know, cousin Vinny. <laughs> yeah. If you believe the way I do, uh, every everything alive is on this earth for a purpose. And uh, as people, sometimes I think we we mess with that too much by by the way we uh, acquire our meat. And uh, I'm going to continue to eat meat, so I'm going to go out and uh, and harvest meat from from uh, the habitat around me. Uh, that I believe that's why they were put on this earth, and do it with respect. And you know what people don't understand, and I don't want to go on a tangent about the ethics of hunting, but um, you know, when you go out hunting, you kill an animal that's, you know, five or six years old that's lived a free life and known things like joy and, and, uh, and um, I guess, bonding with another animal. You t- when you harvest that animal and eat it, uh, that's a whole lot better deal than something that's raised in a pen, filled full of steroids for six months and, and slaughtered. So if I'm going to do one or the other, I, I've enjoyed hunting a whole lot. Well, I being a member of PETA, People eating tasty animals. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll uh, join you on the next, uh, the next opportunity. So uh, let's talk about let's talk about something everybody's interested in. Uh, James Mattis, who uh, by the time this show airs will probably be confirmed as our next Secretary of Defense. Um, we were when you were in here in May, I believe we were sitting at Outback Steakhouse eating some uh, eating some. Uh, formerly alive animals and uh and we were talking about people that you would have supported for president because i don't think uh trump was the nominee yet and you said you said i would uh support james mattis as a nominee for president yeah absolutely i've had some personal experiences uh with general mattis i've also known his reputation among other generals that i've worked with and um the one thing about james mattis is that he doesn't take any decision or opportunity lightly He's probably the most well-read and well-researched individual on any given conversation. Uh, so if he's going to walk into a room on a topic, you can believe he knows the background, the backstory, and all possible outcomes that he can contrive. And so he's truly um, an academic and student-minded uh, individual just as much as a leader and a warrior um, and, and someone with instinct and intuition. So what I like about him is that he doesn't just, just uh, stop halfway. He, he doesn't just you know, have a warrior heart and, and instinct and go off of it every time. He takes the opportunity to educate himself. He continues to learn. I think uh, there was a, some interview I found a few months ago where he was being asked what it means to be a good leader, and, and the first thing out of his mouth was you have to continue to learn um, and learn from those that you're leading. And uh, so those those attributes you can't teach, um, and, and you can't fake them either. And so that's very special. The Marine Corps, especially uh, those of us that served under him, were able to see it firsthand in war. Um, but also, you know, he's left a mark nationally as someone who's willing to truly say what, what he means. I mean, one of his quotes, uh, you know, was, was along the lines of when someone, uh, you know, I think he said something along the lines of when you force women to wear a veil and, and do all these things that these people are doing. Uh, you don't deserve to live, and it's a lot of fun to kill him. And, and you know, that's how he feels. Would you rather him, you know, dress it up and make it sound better? The truth is there are evil people out there that don't deserve a place in this world once they try to kill us. So uh, that's how he led as a Marine, and it's uh, refreshing to know there's someone out there who 
who doesn't hold their tongue simply because someone else might be upset about it. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, that's, I, you know, I think that's what the attraction to Trump has been. Hey, he speaks his mind how he thinks. And, uh, and I like the, one of the, in the, in the uh, Senate confirmation hearing when they asked him about, um, they asked him about NATO and he said that he discussed it with Trump and said that he thinks, you know, uh, Trump doesn't think very highly of NATO, and and uh, there was a disagreement between him and uh, Mattis, and Mattis said, they asked him if he had discussed this. He goes, yes, and he 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 considered it, and he said he even asked questions about why I felt, felt so, so strongly about it, because clearly Trump doesn't have all the experience in all the different areas, but he's surrounding himself with, with great people like, uh, like James Mattis and, uh, and the other, the other appointees that he has. Um, and I, I'm encouraged by that. You know, it's like, cause I could say some things that I'm not fully up, up to speed on and then meet with some people in my company and they say, Hey, this is, this is where you're missing the mark. You're, you're looking at it the wrong way. And I go, okay, I'm, I stand, I stand corrected. Um, you and I had a conversation about, uh, about a no-fly list and you know guns on that and and I was enlightened by something you said about that and uh, and uh, looking at it from a different angle. You uh, tell the story about the first time you met uh, General Mattis. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's it's a fun story to tell. Um, and you probably heard this on my podcast. Yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, when I was going to EOD or Bond Tech School down in Destin, Florida. During that time, that that job field, uh, EOD, bomb techs, were being uh, our killed in action percentages, our per capita, were astronomical. You know, you look, you've got a few thousand bomb techs in the entire military, and you've got you know dozens a year dying uh, in war from 2000. You know, kind of eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That time frame. So in 2008 and nine, I was down there and had the opportunity to be a driver for General Mattis and uh, pick him up at the airport. Well, at the time, and this is quintessential General Mattis, he didn't hold just one uh, combatant commanding position, which is which is the top position for a four-star general. Uh, he held two. So he was the, the commanding general uh, in charge of Joint Forcom, which is Joint Forces Command, which is everywhere there are multiple forces together. So multiple services, multiple countries serving under the same command. And he was also the general in charge called the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO Forces. So he was the general in charge of the military efforts of NATO. And so he had his own plane. He was a really busy guy. And he accepted an invitation to come down and be the keynote speaker at a memorial service for, you know, I think that year was was right at two dozen EOD texts that were going to be memorialized by adding their name to our own memorial wall, which we do every year. So this is across all four services. So although it's a huge deal to us, it's a relatively small event. It's not publicized. It's in a small town in Florida, uh, north of Destin. But he flew and took the time to come down and speak at that because having, having led troops in the combat, he understood not only the severe threat that IEDs and the unique threat that IEDs, these roadside bombs, are posing, but more so the sacrifice being made by our bomb tech community, our EOD community. So when he landed at almost 11 o'clock at night, I had driven another general earlier that day and had to be in, in kind of business casual attire for that, and, then, and I didn't have time to change into a uniform. But when he landed at 11 o'clock at night on this plane, he walked off the plane in, in a full-service uniform, so the, we call it the pickle suit, that green uniform. And he had made it very clear he didn't want any pomp and circumstance. 
So it being an Air Force base down there at Eglin Air Force Base, there were three um, Air Force officers standing uh, and, and saluting, standing at attention and saluting, but there was a, a, a young airman, probably an E-1, 2, or 3, uh, with an M-16 on, standing at either wing, and that's, it's pomp and circumstance. They're not actually serving a purpose. So when he got off the plane, he saw those officers, looked at them, turned, didn't acknowledge them, walked straight down the wing of the aircraft, and stopped where that air private is, is the term we, we kind of aggravate each other and call the, the young airman. And all I could see is the rifle moving around, and he was talking to him, and probably somewhere along the lines of, do you know what you're doing with this? Do you know how to use it? You could see, you know, he was hands-on saying hello to this kid. Then he took an immediate left face, walked straight past those officers, still not acknowledging them, walked straight up to me and the captain, the Marine captain I was there with driving, um, who was in charge of the Marines in the OD school, and uh, and his advanced uh, personnel that came in a day before him had told him about me, and he comes up and he punches me in the gut, and almost folds me over, and says, I was your age one time, and I was I was that hard, or something like that, something along the lines of, it was a, it was a kind of a uh, punch in the gut and a compliment all at the same time. And, uh, and that's James Mattis. He cares about the men and women that will be on the ground that don't get to make decisions, that don't get to, uh, be, you know, have the uh, the captain's mess in the Navy or the, or kind of the, the extra pomp and circumstance. He cares about those that are that are at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, but doing the hardest work because those will be the ones who, who lose their lives or, in my circumstance, lose their legs, and he knows that. And the more connected he is to us, the more he understands that responsibility before he sends us into battle. And, um, you know, that's 11 o'clock at night. He had every right in the world to be rude or just not even want to talk to anyone. He had every right in the world to get off that plane in civilian clothes, but he would not do that to us. He had more respect for us out there that night, uh, all six of us, than to do that. And um, and so that was my first encounter with General Mattis, uh, if, I, if I may, real quick. I met him again when I lived at Walter Reed and was recovering. I had a chance to attend a dinner. Uh, President Obama invited invited me to the combatant commander's dinner, which is about 34 out of 36 four-star generals have dinner with the president, vice president, and secretary of defense. Um, this is a traditional meal. There's nothing saying it has to happen. President Obama decided to invite a wounded warrior, which I felt to be an honor, and he invited me because of some work I was doing in the it Walter Reed with other wounded warriors and mentoring them. Um, and so the, the funny thing about that night was that uh, General Mattis and General Petraeus had effectively swapped positions the month before. Um, General Mattis was in charge of the forces in Iraq, and General Petraeus was central command, which meant everyone abroad, and they swapped positions through a roundabout way. And uh, General Mattis became in charge of Central Command, and General Petraeus was, became in charge of Afghanistan only. And uh, and so when I got there, General Petraeus had said something publicly repudiating or disagreeing with President Obama. So when I showed up, all the wives were upstairs at cocktail dinner and General Petraeus, because President Obama had invited all the other four-star generals to a whiskey and cigar hour and purposefully left General Petraeus out of that as a way to show him kind of who's boss. So later on that night, um, well, there's more to even to that story with General Petraeus, but to get back to General Mattis, later on that night, Admiral Mullen, who was at the time the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, came over to talk to me, didn't remember meeting me. 
General Mattis recognized me from four years before when I had legs, came over, acted like he was going to punch me in the gut again, and told me, don't worry about this guy. He's, he's in the Navy. He doesn't know what, what combat means or something like that, said something funny, put his arm around me and walked me away. And, uh, and so that tells you, you know, with all those political things going on in the White House, you know, there's this kind of air about General Mattis and General Petraeus. And, uh, and he, he still had the awareness to rec- not only recognize me, but to come over there and talk to me. So, um, you know, there, there's something special about the man, and Lord help. Uh, God help our country if we can't confirm him as the Secretary of State. I I completely agree. And, uh, Joey, I know you're uh, rushing off to uh, jump on a plane, and we're almost out of time for this uh, this half of the show. Um, Joey, I know you're going to, you're going to be out here for our, uh, our charity, uh, charity event in February. And I, I thank you for, for that in advance. And I thank you for all that you do for all the veterans and, uh, and for joining us on our show. I appreciate it. If you guys have the opportunity, check out blown away with JJJ on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or go to my website, johnnyjoeyjones.com. That's my podcast. We'll be interviewing some interesting people. We'll definitely get you on there, Ed. And I appreciate the opportunity to come on today. Very cool, man. Okay, we'll uh, we'll talk to you in a in a few days or a, or a couple of weeks, and uh, have a, have a have a great weekend. Thank you. Take care. Okay, so uh, we're almost out of time for this episode of the main event. Let me again remind you, we're having our uh, WCC Charities Gala event, first annual at the Victoria Club in Riverside, coming up on February twenty fifth. Tickets are 125 each. All proceeds are going to uh, the Gary Sinise Foundation to help the remodel of uh, Andrew Botrell triple amputee in San Diego that were turning their uh, their house into a smart house. And we're going to uh, raise some money and we're going to have some fun. We'll have uh, auction items and we'll have all kinds of fun and entertainment. To join us, WCCCharities.org. Uh, and that's all the time I have, have this week. So, folks... Happy 2017. Thanks for listening to the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman. I'll be back in with you next week. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate. Broker license number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders license number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB number 096199.